0: Welcome, everyone. Uh, For me, at least, this is the first event um, that I've chaired at the Middle East Centre since the start of term. I'm Toby Dodge. It's my honour to be the Director of the Middle East Centre here at LSE, as well as a Professor in the International Relations Department. But it's my greater honour to welcome uh, Lahore Talabani to speak uh, about the fight against ISIS, the Kurds on the front line. Uh, Lahore knows what he's talking about. He's the head of the Zenyari Intelligence uh, Agency and a founder of the Counterterrorism Group, um, and has been very much uh, involved both in Kurdish politics and in, in Kurdish security, but also in, in the wider regional dynamics that have been linked to the evolution of the coalition against Daesh, especially since the seizure of Mosul. Uh, Lahore has uh, agreed uh, to speak for about half an hour, um, and then we can get into questions and discussions uh, right through till 7.30 if there's a if there's a, enough to talk about. So without further ado,
1: thank you, Lahore. Thank you very much, first of all. Thank you for giving me the... This- this opportunity today to speak here. Uh, I want to apologize from the beginning. I'm on really heavy medication. <laughs> I, I caught a cold. Uh, so if I go, go off rail every now and again, then uh, my apologies. Um, should I talk about uh, the offensive of Mosul? Because this is the, the focus of the media and uh, politics and the military is really on, on, on the offensive in Mosul and then maybe I can go into Syria and then come back into Iraq because it's all interconnected yeah. if, if that's okay. So, um, uh, under the US-led uh, coalition, the supervision of the US-led coalition, uh, the offensive of Mosul is uh, well underway. Um, um, I would like to talk about the importance of Mosul both for the Iraqis and, and uh and the ISIL forces. Uh, Mosul being the second largest city of Iraq after Baghdad with a population of over 2.5 million people and um, connecting Iraq both to Syria and Turkey uh, geographically is very strategic for Iraq. Um, And being the last stronghold of uh, ISIL, um, the liberation of Mosul is very important and vital for for the Iraqi forces. On the other hand, uh, also for ISIS, uh, I believe... um, uh, being the last stronghold of ISIL uh, remaining in Iraq, um, and uh, being the second capital of uh, the caliphate after Raqqa, also uh, it's also very important for the for the Daesh forces to try and defend the city. So I think it's going to be an interesting fight um, in Mosul. Um, The plan is to uh, retake the city of Mosul (coughs) under the supervision of uh, the US-led coalition with participation of... um multiple Iraqi forces, Iraqi a forces, um, combination of Kurds, Arabs, Sunni, tribal uh, council, uh, fighters. Also, I think there will be some Shiite militia also involved. I think there's only designated areas for the Kurdish Peshmerga and uh, Shiite militia. Uh, Mosul is a very complex city, multi-ethnic, multi-religious uh, city, so um, we have to be really careful on every step uh, we want to take towards liberating Mosul. Um, In KRG, we're really concerned about IDPs coming across the border. At the moment, uh, KRG is uh, hosting over 1.5 million refugees in KRG, a population of 4.5 million. We're hosting 1.5 million. And uh, we believe there's still around uh, over a million people inside Mosul. As we get closer uh, to the liberation of Mosul, uh, we expect um, a lot of people to come across towards KRG borders. Uh, Right now we're going through an economical crisis in KRG, so I think it's going to be really difficult if the international community doesn't come to the rescue of KRG and to uh, give a helping hand on the refugee crisis that we could be facing uh, during the Battle of Mosul. so we talked about the importance of Mosul uh, for both uh, the Iraqi government and ISIL forces. Um, we talked about the civilians remaining uh, inside Mosul, over a million people. And uh, Why I wanted to mention that uh, we saw recent, in recent uh, assaults on Mimbish in Syria, an operation that was supposed to take about 2 weeks end up taking more than 3 months and uh, the reason for that was because there was 10000 uh, civilians still inside the city of Mimbich. And ISIL coming up with, unfortunately, coming up with new tactics and techniques all the time, they decided to use these human beings as uh, human shields. Uh, And (coughs) it worked out in their advantage, and it slowed down the process of the liberation of Minbij because it makes it very difficult for the coalition to do uh, precise airstrikes because of uh, the fear of civilian casualties. So, um, having that in mind, um, this was only two months ago, I think. Mimbidge was taken, so a small city like Mimbich uh, taking three months. Mosul, with still one million civilians living inside Mosul, I think uh, it could be a very slow process. Uh, We still have to wait and see, but um, I believe it will be a slow process because ISIL is always uh, one step ahead. They're coming up with new tactics and uh, new techniques and procedures all the time to slow down the um, moving armies towards them. Uh, In the past, we've seen them. do really well in setting up IEDs and mines to slow down forces coming towards them. So um, it's really worrying for us, uh, uh, still having that large number of civilians inside Mosul, how that's going to affect the fight and how much casualties uh, there will be on the civilian side. Um, uh, Like I said, in KRG we're really concerned about... um, IDP is coming across the border. Also, what we're concerned about, we believe, as we get closer to the battle of Mosul or to liberation of Mosul, um, the um, asymmetric uh, threat against our region... And probably not only against our region, uh, also globally. And European countries really should watch out. Uh, The more territory these guys lose, uh, the more they will go back to the asymmetric warfare. Um, We're trying to prepare for that as security services of KRG. Uh, We've seen in the recent months the the threats have increased against uh, KRG, uh, cities, Erbil, Sleimania, Duhok. And we're preparing better now uh, as we get closer to the Battle of Mosul, um, because a lot of the time they use the IDPs uh, uh, to hide within the IDPs coming across the border. And they, on many occasions, on a weekly basis, we find sleeper cells within those IDPs that are currently in, in, in KRG that we're hosting. So uh, we expect a lot of bad guys trying to mix up amongst the IDPs coming across um, KRG borders. Uh, this is something that really worries us. Um, I'm going to cross a little bit into uh, over into Syria because it's all connected. I think the battle of uh, Mosul and Raqqa uh, was planned to to happen at around the same time. Um, I think. Um, What happened with the Turkish intervention into into Rablis uh, has changed that around a little bit. It would have been better. I think it would have made it easier for the Iraqis and the Syrian Kurds uh, to start around the same time because then ISIL wouldn't have been able to focus all its forces on, on one location. But I think what happened in Jarabulus, with the Turks getting involved there, uh, I slowed down that process. The YPG and the SDF forces are very concerned about what's happening on the northern border. Uh, So it's their right to be concerned, and they want to stop focusing on Raqqa, Because after Mimbich they were just about to shift focus onto Raqqa um, under the U.S.-led coalition there also. Um, But I think the Turkish-backed forces uh, entering uh, Jarablus has slowed that down, and the Kurds in Syria right now and the SDF need some sort of reassurance from the coalition uh, to make sure that they don't come any further south uh, towards the the areas they control right now. I think what the Turkish government was trying to do, the Turkish army there, first of all, to uh, try and uh, protect the Sunni interest in Syria, or in, in northern Syria there, uh, the Sunni interest going all the way to Al-Bab and, and Aleppo, and probably thinking about setting up a buffer zone between uh, between Turkey and between uh, the hot areas in in. In Syria, uh, I, another thing I think that what the Turkish government was trying to achieve through that is to um, stop the advance of the Kurdish forces in Syria or well, advancing towards uh, Afrin and connecting the three cantons of uh, Jazeera, Kobani, and Afrin um, and they 've done a good job of that they 've slowed down the YPG and they, the u s is very hesitant now to allow YPG to go any further towards the east. Also, I think one other thing they were trying to achieve was, you know, with the YPG um, willing to participate in, in the fight of Raqqa, which is the last big battle in Syria against ISIL, would have given more recognition to YPG. Uh, would have put uh, put them on the map uh, even more Uh, there would be more weapons, supplies and training and ammunition given to YPG so mm, the the Turkish government tried its best to uh, to get to distract YPG from participating in uh, in the Raqqa fight and then they were given signals that if the YPG doesn't participate uh, the Turkish military is willing to liberate uh, Raqqa which I think it would be a huge mistake for the Turkish government to either participate in Raqqa or Mosul, you know, it's too too far south for them in Raqqa, too deep into Syria with all the complexities uh, that we, we're facing right now in Syria, and all these different groups uh, fighting each other. I think it would be a huge mistake for the Turkish government. So I'm hoping it's just flex of muscle that the Turkish government are trying to flex its muscle and saying these things about Mosul and Raqqa. Also, Mosul would be dangerous if the Turkish government decided to participate in Mosul uh, because that's a that's a diff- completely different story participating in Mosul. Um, That would encourage the Iranians, whether directly or indirectly, also get involved in in the fight uh, in Mosul. So we really hope the coalition uh, or the U.S.-led coalition uh, controls these uh, regional forces. And if they really want to play a role uh, in, uh, in liberating Mosul or Raqqa, it should be a positive role. It should be an advisory role to the Uh, local forces on the ground. They should be uh, supporting with ammunition and weapons and and air support. Um, The coalition should not allow any Turkish troops enter Mosul. Mosul is a difficult city to control. Um, During Saddam's rule, it was a difficult city to control. We saw during the coalition time being there, they found it difficult to Uh, stabilise the city Uh, post-coalition the Iraqis lost half of the city to the terrorists and the extremist groups so it's always been a difficult city to control so for the Turkish government to think that they can bring Turkish forces into Mosul, this is what President Erdogan is saying, Uh, it's it's a huge mistake, you know, for the sake of the Turkish people and Turkish government and for the sake of people of Iraq uh, we should avoid that Uh, the coalition partners should really really um, uh, try and stop from the, from Turkish troops entering into Mosul, because like I said, uh, that would open the door for Iranians to get involved either directly or through their proxies, supporting the proxies um, they have control of in, in some parts of Iraq, and we could soon have a bigger mess than w- w- we're in right now. Um, Turks and the Iranians fighting on Iraqi soil. Uh, we don't need this right now, so we hopefully... Uh, can convince the uh, Turkish government to, uh, to 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 avoid this, and we're hoping that this is just flex of muscle and it's just talks and it's not going to happen uh, in real. Uh, we talked about KRG, so YPG, the YPG and uh, SDF. I could talk a little bit about that. Um, they've been the most uh, effective force on the ground uh, in Syria. Um, The only problem is that a lot of them are Kurds, so this is a problem sometimes. You can be effective, you can be a good person, you can be (laughs) good people. If you're a Kurd, sometimes that's a problem in our neighbour. Neighbours, neighbourhoods. Um, I think with a little help of the coalition, uh, the that the, they've got, uh, the, the, the coalition have provided to YPG and the SDF forces, they've gained so much. We saw in the past four or five years, billions of dollars went into Free Syrian Army, uh, a lot of weapons and ammunition from different countries, superpowers, and they didn't achieve much. Uh, but we saw in the past year and a half the little help that was given to YPG, and uh, the Free Syrian Democratic Forces, uh, allowed White House spokesmen to come on TV once a week and say, this is what we gained today, this is what we did today. And it was all YPG and Free Syrian Democratic Forces uh, with a little effort from, from the coalition forces. I think they should be recognized for that. Uh, even though there's some sort of previous affiliation with some of the commanders of YPG with PKK. Uh, but I, I always bring up this example of uh, one of our top commanders in Kurdistan regional government, uh, a guy called Aziz Wasi. He's uh, the head of the Zeravani Forces um, in, in KRG. He was a PKK commander in the mountains for 15 years. But now he's a top commander in KRG. And some of these commanders in Syria uh, who fought alongside of uh, PKK. Most of them are majority marks Syrian Kurds. They want to do what's best for Syria. So that was in the past. If they were affiliated with PKK, they want to do what's best for for Syria and for their people in Syria. They have no interest of what's really happening on the other side of (coughs) the border uh, in Turkey. Um, and really the Turkish government should really come into terms with that. And The Turkish government deal with Aziz Waisi, they give him these men training, a guy that was in PKK for 15 years now, he's on the KRG. The same sort of uh, model could be used for some of the Syrian uh, Kurds even though they were previously affiliated with PKK, now They're really interested or focused only on what's happening in Syria, and they don't want to have anything to do. And I think a a good example of that is we've seen uh, attacks in recent months uh, against Turkish troops from the KRG border, from the Georgian border, and from the Armenian border. There's not been one single incident uh, from YPG border into Turkey. So this is a good example that the YPG could be good neighbors of Turkey. And if the Turks uh, show a bit of interest uh, with those guys, they're more than willing to build uh, a relationship with the Turkish government there and to protect those borders. It would be wise for the Turkish government to uh, to open up this dialogue with the YPG forces. Um, and I think the YPG have done exactly what the coalition have, have, have told them to. They've been very honest with the coalition on their relationships whether it's with the Syrian government, there's a lot of speculation that they have a good relationship with the Syrian government. I can assure you guys now uh, that that, that's not true. I mean, we saw the last conflict between the YPG and uh, Syrian forces in Hasakah. That's proved that there's no connection. This is, I think, Turkish propaganda and some other political parties in the region uh, propaganda to to make them look like that they're really uh, under the influence of the Syrian regime. Uh, In the past, there was rumors that they were under the influence of the Iranian government, which I can also tell you guys that's not true, because I've been involved in this relationship of YPG and the coalition, and I know they've been very, uh, very honest with, with, with their coalition partners. Um, so they can still play a vital role in the future of Syria. They can play a vital role in in, in the battle of Raqqa, in the liberation of Raqqa. Um, they've they've shown good examples of uh, governance in most of the cities they've taken they try to get all the different ethnic and religious groups to participate in running their cities uh, prior to taking any one of those cities uh, for example the the Minbij, uh, council they set up you know six months before taking Minbij and so they have it ready with participants uh, from different back backgrounds and religious backgrounds um, so I think, you know, Raqqa also, uh, um, if, it was put, if there was some sort of reassurance could be given to YPG and the SDF, they could very quickly maneuver or sh- shift um, their forces uh, towards Raqqa. Uh, because it's not like what's happening in Iraq. In Iraq, it's multiple forces, Shiites, Sunnis, Peshmerga. Uh, uh, regular Iraqi army but there is YPG and STF uh, they're very dynamic they could really shift focus on towards Raqqa and I think it would would be wise to do so on the coalition's part uh, because it would really make the fight of Mosul a lot easier uh, because then the, the, the ISIL forces will be spread uh, across across the board, and it would make it easier for everybody um, krg i 'm going to come back into KRG uh, we have serious issues uh, economical issues uh, that we 're facing and that we have been facing for the past year and a half it hasn 't got any better unfortunately even though we 're pumping more oil uh, out of um, KRG, uh, even though some, some in the recent months the oil prices have gone up, but still we haven't been able to pay our civil servants and pay our brave Peshmergas who are risking their lives every day to protect their country. Um, We've always encouraged KRG to go back to Baghdad. Recently, we saw a move by President Barzani and some of the other political parties uh, who went to Baghdad. Um, uh, we really encourage that. Uh, there's a constitution, uh, um, you know, that protects in the Iraqi constitution the rights of the Kurds are protected. Uh, so why split away from Iraq right now and go and deal with a country, whether it's Turkey, whether it's Iran, where we have no rights and we have no guarantees that we will be uh, protected? Uh, we're protected by the Iraqi constitution. It makes sense. We're still part of Iraq. It makes sense for us to have good communication and good dialogue with Baghdad. Okay, we have our differences sometimes uh, on oil and gas, uh, but we're still part of Iraq. So it's. Uh, it's, it's wise for us to go back and deal with uh, w- w- with Baghdad uh, as President Barzani and the, the team with him uh, we saw went last week to Baghdad and, and had a lot of good meetings in Baghdad and a lot of positive uh, we had a positive vibe from those meetings we're hoping that this could help the economic situation uh, or the, the mess we're in economically uh, so we're really encouraged and I think the international community really should uh, push for more dialogue like this with Baghdad uh, because we believe um, our future is still with Iraq I know there's talks of independency from time to time uh, and referendum being held uh, in KRG, my personal opinion on that would be, you know, it's every Kurd's dream to to have a free independent Kurdistan but there's a right time and place for everything uh, with all the crisis we're going through right now, having 950 kilometers of border with ISIL sharing uh uh, all these problems um with the economical crisis that we're in now and we don't have a way out right now um and with our peshmergas being in a state they're in right now we're not able to equip them really well we're not able to pay them uh i don't think it's wise to be talking about uh, you know independence and if we are going to be talking about independence, see, this needs to be done peacefully with Baghdad, uh, with dialogue with Baghdad, and we want to stay good neighbors uh, with Baghdad. Uh, we haven't done any of that. And another thing I forgot, you know, we have a lot of internal issues, unfortunately. There needs to be a lot of uh, social and political reconciliation within KRG before we, before we can talk about uh, independence. Uh, so, m- because of all these factors, uh, my personal opinion is it's not the right time to talk about independence. Uh, I think we should again encourage and praise our government for going back to Baghdad and dealing with the Iraqi government. Um, on that issue. I don't know what else should I should cover. Like I said, I have taken a lot of medicine. In my apologies, I go off real from. Well, let
0: let me draw you out yeah. on a couple of issues, and then we can um, we can move forward with that. I suppose <coughs> overshadowing all of this and overshadowing regional politics, and especially Iraqi politics, is the up-and-coming offensive against Mosul. Now, we don't want to speculate when it will start, but I suspect it'll be it'll be a long time coming and a long time to completion. But then, a lot of the issues that you've raised diplomatically touched upon, and a lot of the issues that, that, that drove the rise of Daesh in the first place will come back to the forefront. So I was wondering, as a Kurd who will be involved, who you said will be involved in, in the fighting for the liberation of Mosul, what do you think the, yeah. the KRG's role will be in Mosul, and what, what after the liberation, and, and then what do you see as the main issues that need to be dealt with in Iraq yeah, after absolutely. that?
1: I think it's very much possible to, to liberate Mosul, uh, and to remove ISIL from Mosul. I think post-ISIL Mosul is what we should be concentrating on. If we don't have a good plan for post-ISIL Mosul, I, I think it, it could be a disaster. Um, first of all, we've got to reassure the Sunnis, you know, it's a majority Sunni city, uh, Mosul uh, province, uh, with some Shiites, some uh, good... Uh, Christian community, Yazidis and Shabaks and Kakes and so on and so on. So it's a very complex city, but uh, majority Sunni. I think it's very important that uh, we reassure the, the Sunnis in Mosul right, and the Sunnis in Iraq in general that they will be part of decision making in the future of the Iraq and they will be part of the political process in Baghdad. Uh, this is really really important. Whether it's the Iraqi government reassuring the, the Sunnis, whether it's through the coalition and through, through the international community. Um, this is, this is a key factor, I think. If the, if the Sunnis don't feel like they're part of the decision-making in the future of Iraq, again, we could have serious issues. And one other thing that I wanted to point out, a lot of these Sunni territories taken over by ISIL, by the time we liberate them, they're completely, the infrastructure's gone. We've seen in, in Romadi, we've seen in Fallujah in Salah we've seen in Kobani, we've seen in, in, in Minbich, we will see in, I believe, in, in Raqqa and Mosul also. I don't think the Iraqi government or the Syrian government or the international community has the money to try and rebuild these cities. Uh, this is what really concerns me. Uh, these cities uh, with no hospitals, no good health care, no education because all the schools are destroyed. Uh, a lot of unemployment It's a breathing ground for extremist groups to start recruiting uh, within these communities and without having a political solution in Baghdad or in Damascus or in wherever you want to call it. uh, Again, ISIL could disappear uh, within the next three or four months as a structure, as an organization. I'm worried that we could have a Uh, Another ISIL under a different name, different shape, different size, even more brutal, to be honest with you. So these are all things to to consider. Uh, uh, Is the international community willing to uh, donate a lot of money to rebuild some of these cities, to rebuild these schools in these uh, conflict zones? Uh, that have been affected by, by, by the fight uh, against Daesh. Uh, if not, I don't believe the Iraqi government has the money to rebuild some of these cities. And like I said, I'm worried that this is a uh, breeding ground for, for extremists to recruit within these communities and these uh, youngsters. And, and soon we could have another Daesh, uh, like I said, under a different name. But again, we've got to reassure the Sunnis... Um, that they're part of the political process. Well, this is key, I think, uh, because I think we had this issue in the past and this helped ISIL to be created and to become the, to this monster that they are today. So again, it's, it's, it's the Iraqi government's job, uh, and it's everybody's job, all the political parties, including the Kurds, to make sure that everybody feels like they're part of the decision-making in Baghdad. Uh, whether it's Shiites, Kurds, Sunnis, everybody has to play their role in this. Uh, Otherwise, like I said, we could have uh, other problems like Daesh Daesh in the the future. One last
0: uh, point on Mosul, and uh, I think it's a very sensible thing to to reassure the Sunni residents of Mosul. But I suppose one of the ways of reassuring them, I assume, would be to say that once the Peshmerga... Have liberated Mosul, they'll go, they'll leave straight away. Is that, is that your? understanding? Sorry, I wanted to,
1: yeah, talk about that. I think uh, the plan is for the Peshmerga not to enter the city of Mosul. Uh, the role of the Peshmerga and uh, Hashd al Shadi will be on the outskirts of. Mosul designated areas for both Peshmerga and al Sha'bi. I think the plan is for mainly the Iraqi special uh, forces, the Golden Brigade and uh, some brigades of the federal police and the Sunni uh, militia or the Sunni tribal forces that they've created. They're trying to, hoping to push up the numbers on that. Uh, that could be some sort of reassurance for the Sunni population inside Mosul that you know uh, these are good forces. So the Peshmerga and the Hashd al shabi are not entering inside the city of Mosul. Uh, this is part of the plan. Hopefully, the coalition will uh, stay very much engaged with the forces on the ground to make sure uh, everybody plays by the rule. Uh, this is Im- very important for the coalition to stay uh, very close and engagement uh, with the troops on the ground to. To, to make sure nobody steps out of line.
0: Excellent. That's very clear. Now you, you spoke uh, very eloquently and very passionately about the PYG and 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 you were sending a. I think it would be fair to say, a, 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 giving the Turkish government um, some advice about their relationship. I just wonder what the PYG's, uh, the YPG's relationship with the PUK is and with 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 um, I suppose what might keep well, a lot of things might keep President Erdogan awake at night, but this idea of a kind of a, a transnational Kurdish movement, not only but across the Turkish border but into Iraq. So I think I'd certainly be fascinated to know about what the relationship... So you said you were a key, you played a key role in in brokering or involved in the discussions between the YPG and the coalition. Uh, what's the relationship between Kurdish Peshmerga and the uh, uh, YPG? Yeah,
1: so um, I would say PUK. PUK has a relationship with PYD, which mm. is a political. Mm-hmm. Uh, party, and there's a difference between PYD and YPG. A lot of people connect the two together, but uh, um, YPG is completely different structure, different, and different uh, command structure. Um, So there's connection with PUK and uh, other political parties in Syria. But the connection between my organization and the YPG uh, started way uh, before Kobani was uh, uh, taken Um, I personally, uh, we came under a lot of pressure on our borders with ISIL uh, in the past two years. Especially the, on the arrival of ISIL, we were under a lot of pressure. We took a lot of casualties, uh, and it was a nightmare. This is before the coalition got involved, uh, or really got involved, uh, in, the, in supporting the Peshmerga forces. Um, so. We came up with the idea of if we could uh, spread the forces of ISIL uh, because at the time they were only concentrating on uh, Iraqi Kurdistan borders and they were penetrating holes through our our lines that the Peshmerga had, had set up and almost, Erbil almost uh, came on the threat and almost was taken by ISIL. They got so close. So we thought about, you know, engaging with YPG forces and Building a relationship between the coalition and the YPG because they were also uh, they were fighting ISIL and other extremist groups two or three years before us, but they were not being noticed because they were Kurds and. Um, Turkey didn't want them to be noticed. Um, so we thought, you know, by engaging with YPG and providing a bit of support where they could keep some ISIL forces busy inside Syria, the, uh, it will take off the pressure uh, from on the KR- KRG Peshmergas. Uh, we believe that's exactly what happened. The Battle of Kobani, the Battle of Minbij, is keeping ISIL so busy inside Syria uh, where we don't have to do a lot of work in in KRG territory, even though there's still a threat against KRG. Borders, we're sharing 950 kilometers uh, border with ISIL, but I think uh, the strategy worked. uh, We're hitting them from both sides, both YPG and KRG forces. It's really weakened ISIL. uh, If you compare to what ISIL was two years ago, a year and a half ago, ISIL is not the same ISIL or the ISIL forces are not the same forces. Uh, Secondly, these guys are Kurds. They needed our help. I believe it was the right thing to do, even though I faced a lot of criticism from my government and my bosses. Uh, they didn't agree with my idea of supporting YPG. They, uh, some people within the government, they looked at YPG as a terrorist organization, having strong ties with PKK, but um, I didn't believe so, to be honest with you. I, I spoke, I became very friendly with a lot of the commanders on the ground. Uh, and these were Syrian Kurds. Okay, they had affiliation in the past with PKK, but I gave the example of Aziz Waisi. Who was 15 years with PKK, now he's one of our top generals. So. And most of those guys wanted to do what was best for, for their families in Syria and protect their families. So I, I believe there was the right thing to do. Uh, and there's a strong relationship between us and YPG, and um, I don't really hide it. I'm really proud of it, uh, proud of the relationship we, we, we have with YPG. Uh, we played a major role in building a relationship between the U.S., first of all, and then other coalition partners. Uh, and it took me a lot of hard work and a lot of traveling, traveling from country to country to tell people that YPG is not a terrorist organization. You know, we should be worried about Daesh. We should be worried about Jabhat al-Nusra. Uh, not worried about YPG. Uh, I think uh, a, lo- a lot of that has turned out to be true. Uh, there's a strong relationship between the coalition. They, uh, the coalition saw that the YPG and the Syrian Democratic Forces were the most effective and truthful force on the ground uh, in Syria. So I, I think something really good's come out of this. And like I said, I'm proud of... Uh, uh, what what my organization has been able to do in building this relationship between the coalition forces and YPG. And I really, deep down, I believe in this relationship uh, because I don't see YPG as a terrorist organization. They're completely two different things from PKK. Uh, And the proof for that is the Turkish government, like I said, they're protecting those borders. Not one single attack in the past three years has been launched from YPG territory into Turkey. Again, I encourage the Turkish government to, to build a relationship with YPG. It will be in their advantage, I believe. Well, finally, let me,
0: before I open up one final question around, around the future of the Kurdish regional government. you. Um very straightforwardly, very uh, transparently, said that you you you, you committed to Kurdish independence, like any Kurd would be, but you don't think the time is right for a referendum or a move away from Baghdad. That's very clear. I just wonder how, given the the huge suffering of of the Kurds, the fear, the undoubted fear they had about the rise of of Baghdad's military power under Maliki before it's collapsed again, and and the, and the, the the historical fears, how you would persuade Kurdish public opinion in the KRG that they shouldn't push as quickly as possible for independence with Baghdad being as weak as it is
1: now? Actually, it's not convincing the Kurdish public. The Kurdish public is convinced that this is not the right time, to be totally honest with you. It's convincing our politicians that this is not the right time, I would say. The Kurdish public, uh, uh, they see the economical crisis, they see whether the suffering of the Peshmerga, uh, they see the political dividence between uh, different uh, Kurdish groups, uh, so the, the, they read this very well, and they, they know this is not the right time for independency because uh, only if Iran, Turkey, and the Iraqi government close its borders for a couple of months, we'll starve to death. You know, we have no way. We're landlocked. We, we have no way out. Uh, unless one of these countries give us a green light for Kurdish independence, I think it's going to be very difficult. That's why I think we have a good opportunity in the future with Baghdad through dialogue peacefully to achieve this goal. But this is not the right time. Um, so why unite a lot of these enemies in the region uh, for something that we really believe that it's not possible uh, uh, and it's not the right time for it to happen Um, so again I think it's convincing some of our politicians that this is not the right time otherwise I can speak on behalf of the Kurdish public they're really convinced that this is not the right time Okay, thank you. Right,
0: I'll gather some questions if you could say who you are and ask a question. Uh, so how does it work the You you write down all the questions and I'll, then answer or do you answer them no, no, like Chatham we'll, House? We'll, we'll take them one at a time I think unless okay. we run out of time. If you're if you're peppered with questions we'll we'll bring them together. one at a of time of so we can keep track of okay, them? Okay, sure. Yes. Um, thank you very much, as always.
2: Um, You are
1: very frank. I saw you in in the states,
0: right?
2: Uh,
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Who Um, are you? Tell us who you are. I am Naseba Yunus. Um, I direct the task force on the future. Are you following
1: me everywhere, or
2: am I? Uh, It's a coincidence. Um, And uh, I wanted to ask about (laughs) Mosul, Um, given that it's kind of. KDP-dominated neck of the woods. How involved are... What's the proportion of KDP versus Puk Peshmerga that are going to be involved in that assault? And also, particularly pertinent to you because you're on the intelligence side, you've said that there's likely to be ISIS infiltration in the IDP flows that come out of the city. How do you organise screening... So that you can effectively secret, separate so you can effectively separate innocent civilians from ISIS supporters, of course in Fallujah when the uh, al-Shaabi was conducting screenings, that was extremely controversial. you know we still have six hundred men missing um, you know how do you, how does Kurdish intelligence organize screening so that it can be done fairly and effectively and, and does not continue to further alienate Sunni? public opinion and are there ways in which the international community can help in the liberation of Mosul to do screening better
1: okay so uh, thank you so, it's good to see you again so UK, i think it's uh, more of a krg force it's not UK. how many i believe it will be a mixture of you know the the merged brigades, that the brigades we have that are joint brigades, both from, from PUK and KDP. Um, we're hoping that would be the case. This is what we're hearing from the, our coalition partners, that it would be a KRG uh, force that's going to participate in the uh, in, in, uh, liberation of Mosul. On uh, IDPs and um, ISIS hiding within IDPs coming across the border, look, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult task. <laughs> but, uh, we have been facing this problem in the past year and a half. Sometimes they have gone past uh, the security checks, unfortunately, because a lot of the time these guys are coming across the uh, borders without having any identification. Uh, so it's very difficult to verify who they are. We are in contact with uh, the Iraqi uh, intelligence uh, security entities uh, whether it's the national security uh, of uh, Baghdad and uh, counter-terrorism in Baghdad or, or, or the Iraqi muhabarat. Uh, we try to vet, send the names to Baghdad and get feedback from Baghdad to see if they really know who these people are. So there's good cooperation now between some of our security forces and Baghdad uh, security forces. Uh, uh, well, like I said, It's a difficult task, uh, but I think our secret, I shouldn't really tell you, but it's having good pre-intelligence is the, is the, is the way forward. Uh, we have a lot of experience with uh, terrorist networks since 1999, 2000, uh, fighting Jundal islam Ansar al-Islam, al-Qaeda, Ansar al-Sunnah, on and on. Uh, the secret of our success at the time was you know, penetrating those networks deep, Uh, And to have pre-information, whenever there was an attack happening, we knew immediately that it was coming, and we would prepare for it. I think um, we've managed to penetrate, have deep penetration into to ISIL uh, networks. Uh, We're gathering a lot of good intelligence, whether it's human or SIGINT or uh, a combination of both. Uh, This is what we rely on: is good intelligence. hopefully that will help us. Like I said, we're not going to be able to uh, be 100%, uh, because this is a lot of people coming across People who've been traumatized, you know, coming out of war zones, um, sometimes you have to let them in very quickly. Uh, But there's follow ons we investigate further on. But it's becoming more and more difficult, to be honest with you. But wood so far, we're doing an okay job. I mean, if you compare what's happening in KRG and KRG security to other parts of uh, Iraq or what's happening in other countries, uh, you know, we work around the clock. I never had grey hairs uh, before the arrival of ISIL. I've got grey hairs now. So, but yeah, we try our best.
0: Okay, who's next? Right, yes, you. The microphone is coming. <laughs>
3: Hi, my name is Kirsten. I'm a student here at LSE. Kirsten? Kirsten. It's a hard one. Kirsten. Okay, okay. it's a hard one. You'll probably never see me again, so. (laughs) Um, I do have two questions for you, so I'll start with one. Um, Given the conflict with PKK and all of the attacks that are going on throughout Turkey and Olaza and Tunceli and Diyarbakir and Gaziantep, and I know that you're stating also that you're trying to, you're creating this separate entity, I was wondering, going forward, if you're going to try to disassociate more and more from the PKK that's currently in Turkey, or if you see in the future uniting with them and kind of trying to, trying to unify or trying to, because it's very difficult, I think, for Turks to look at them and see a separate entity when looking at you. I think that's kind of an ongoing issue.
1: Okay, that's all. I think I was, talking, I was very clear I was talking about YPG and I, the big difference between YPG even though there was previous connections uh, what I was talking about was YPG and our good relationship with YPG we've tried to mediate between PKK and the Turkish government I personally have tried to mediate in the past but unfortunately uh, when they lost the elections President Ordoğan, you know, had a complete shift of policy and the peace process was destroyed and the war started again with PKK again look the the Kurdish issue in in, in Turkey, I believe, uh, there's no military solution, neither for the t- Turkish government or for the PKK. I believe, again, they need to sit down and sort this out uh, uh, peacefully, and they need to find a political solution for this situation, you know. I always told my Turkish counterparts you could eliminate the 2,000 PKK fighters in the mountain, but they would only be replaced by 3 million other Kurds inside Turkey. So there's no solution militarily. Again, we encourage both sides, and we still do, that they should go back to the peace process. That's the only way forward. for, to, to resolving the, the Kurdish issue in Turkey. Um,
3: and then my second question is, we're very fortunate and very happy to have you, of course, but given all of, the, uh, all of the conflict that's going on currently, how did we get so fortunate to have you here tonight?
1: She's asking you what you're doing. What's your mission in London? <laughs> <laughs> so this was my main mission actually this is my only public most of the other talks i had was closed door this one was the only public one i was in cambridge yesterday and i have some some official meetings as well i try to come back here once a year but unfortunately i tell you some t- tell you guys something and uh, i was really concerned on the way here because two years ago uh, i was in an official meeting here. And Daesh took over Mosul. They gave me the news that Daesh has taken over Mosul. And I was on my way out to the States. I had to cancel my uh, U.S. trip and immediately go back uh, to Iraq. A year later, I came. I don't remember if it was the Sinjar incident. Again, I was in the UK with official meetings with the same people, <laughs> and then that happened. I immediately had to go back. So when they told me, you have to go to the UK this year, I was really worried. Yeah. Uh, thank God, though, Mosul is yeah, it's, 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 it's taken back. This would be a good story. Uh, so I, I, I do try and come back to the UK and do the rounds, whether it's USA, UK, and other coalition partners once a year to, to speak to high officials and, and, and counterparts. Uh, right, I see a sea of hands. I, and I knew you guys would be here, that's why I really came.
0: Uh, I see a, so I'll go actually just to the gentleman with the long hair and the glasses, um, and then we can come back to this side.
4: I think you're referring to me. Um, hi, uh, Ahmed Mehdi. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much for your speech. Um, I have two questions, actually. The first one is, you, you started off talking about the disruptive elements to... Or potentially disruptive elements to the Musul operation, and I suppose without actually making a proposition, but just sort of speculating, maybe one of those disruptive elements is uh, the growing sort of uh, fragmentation within the KRG between the PUK and the KDP, um, and some of the casual, you know, political casualties as a result of that. Most recently, the res- uh, well, the parliament's decision in Baghdad to dismissed a finance minister who has occurred allied with the KDP. And I suppose the second question is so, – so sorry, so the first question to that is really to what extent is the uh, disunity between the KDP and the PUK at the moment going to actually impact the Musil operation? And the second question is, um, you talked about the financial troubles at the moment in the KRG. and. My point is really about Kirkuk in terms of the recent deal between uh, the KRG and Baghdad over Kirkuk. Um, Again, I I sort of put it to you: Is it is it is it true that um, the PUK was actually against that deal? And if the KRG is in so much financial distress, why was it against that deal? This is in regards to the 150,000
1: barrels that uh, was mentioned. Okay, so that's not my. Okay. So the PUK KDP, I, I don't think it, it has any effect on the or this, any kind of obstruction in, in the fight or oh, in liberation of Mosul. We've showed the United Front, you know, uh, when Kagma Saud went to Baghdad, that, uh, our PUK commanders were present when. Uh, the coalition came with uh, Mr. Fala fayyad and other partners in Iraq uh, our people were present in the meetings and in signing an agreement with, uh, with KRG we were all present uh, this internal political issue I don't think it's going to have an effect because our Peshmergas have uh, shown uh, a real unity uh, whether it's KDP, UK so I don't think that's going to have any effect uh, or it's going to be any kind of obstacle in, uh, in the process of uh, liberation of Mosul um, We talked about the, the 150,000 barrels recently I think um, around four or five months ago uh, Some disagreements between KRG and Iraqi government uh, Stopped this 150,000 barrels of oil From south of Kirkuk being pumped into the KRG pipeline and We were trying to come up as UK from where I'm uh, hearing and from what I'm understanding uh, to find a way where the, people of, where, where, where the people of Kirkuk could directly benefit from this you know, because there's a lot of oil being taken from Kirkuk and being pumped into Turkish pipeline but there's not a lot of money coming back into Kirkuk and PUK holding majority seats in Kirkuk we have 6 seats out of the 12 seats of course, the Kurdish bloc is eight seats out of, with KDP seats. Eight seats were being blamed for all this oil being taken out of uh, Kirkuk oil fields and no money pouring back into Kirkuk. So it was PUK's responsibility to really try and do something about this. When we realized that there's no agreement could be reached between KRG and Iraqi government, we proposed, uh, uh, we pr- proposed something to the Iraqi government where if we could sell this, oil, we get companies to sell this oil whether it's through Iran or through Turkey or any other means and the money somehow uh, pours back into uh, uh, Kirkuk uh, under the control of the governor of Kirkuk Uh, that was the idea, unfortunately the media made a big deal out of it uh, and then immediately people within KRG, they went to Baghdad and tried to uh, I think that helped, that move by PUK helped this relationship between Baghdad and KRG uh, in a way uh, people that were not willing to deal with Baghdad when they saw this oil could be going in a different direction immediately went to Baghdad and, and, and made a deal with Baghdad so uh, people really th- should thank us for, uh, for proposing that
0: <laughs> Mr. Uh, gentleman with the black glasses and the grey jumper if you put your hand up above your head the mic will come to you
5: look.
6: thank you uh, student War studies at King's College London uh, countering terrorism requires more than just counterterrorism. What do you believe that Iraq must do after the military victory over ISIS to counter violent extremism?
1: Yes, I think I mentioned before, I'm really concerned about post Iraq, you know. Um, the destruction that we're facing in, in those conflict zones, uh, like I said, you know, it's going to bring up a generation with no education, with no good health care, with no, uh, a lot of unemployment. This is a breathing ground. This is something that we need to think about seriously and find the money from somewhere to try and rebuild some of the cities. Uh, and like I said, ISIL could be destroyed or, or could vanish uh, within three or four months as an organization, but the ideology will definitely stay behind. And in the past, we haven't done a good job of fighting the ideology and de-radicalization programs. Uh, most of the concentration has been on, you know, militarily trying to destroy these uh, these uh, extremist groups. In the past, uh, with ourselves as well, KRG, whether it was Ansar al-Islam, General islam we always concentrated on the military campaign and how we could destroy these guys and kill as many as possible. Uh, we never concentrated on how to de-radicalize and to fight the ideology. So I believe the Iraqi government needs to take this very seriously uh, and have... Uh, joint programs with international partners on de radicalization. Uh, this, is, this is, I think, that would be a good solution.
0: Yes, next door, you, sir.
6: Have
0: we got a mic in the middle there? You wave your hand above your head, they'll know where to go.
6: Hi, also a uh, post grad uh, student at King's College. Um, so thank you so much for the talk. It's really interesting and lots of questions I want to uh, ask you. Uh, but one is um, uh, there have been a lot of reports that a lot of the ISIL fighters have been Kurds. Uh, and so um, uh, what do you think uh, the reason for that is? And uh, uh, Where is yeah. that report coming out of? Um, there are, uh, uh, I've read it
0: on
1: the Internet, I'd say. <laughs>
0: ISIS have
1: released uh, Kurdish oh definitely there 's a number we, we have the numbers there are probably about three to four hundred uh, Kurds amongst i don 't think that 's a large number, considering where we are uh, geographically and all the previous uh, terrorism we faced uh, in the past i don 't think that 's a large number there 's probably more people from the u k than the Kurds there is seriously. Uh, from Germany, from, from Netherlands. You know, the numbers are much higher than... Uh, so we've been really lucky uh, on this one, to be honest with you. Um, I think the brutality of uh, ISIL at the beginning really discouraged a lot of the Kurds in joining ISIL. Uh, but the numbers are probably around 400, 450, we believe, uh, that we know of. So um, they have a special brigade. Uh, the Salah ad-Din Brigade is uh, allocated for the Kurds. Well, their numbers are going down on a daily basis.
7: Hi, uh, thank you. I'm uh, Chris Bowers. I'm a former consul general. I think not sure we actually met when I was there, but uh, um, I mean, first look as, as it says, uh, Kurds are on the front line. So, thank you for everything you do to keep not only Kurdistan safe and the people who live there, but also what you do to keep. People safe around the world, and thank you. I mean, it's fantastic work that you do. Um, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the um, your contacts with the with the Shia militia, because of course the other the other neighbour that you have, you know, around Tours and that sort of place. Uh, uh, people like you know Hadi Amar and what have you, and who've also said some reasonably hostile and bombastic things about about Kirkuk and. Kurdish control of Kirkuk, uh, I know he's he's on he's hiding to nothing there, but, but I mean, they're not necessarily, in, as I'm sure you know, very positive always towards the Kurds. So I just wonder how your relations are with them. How do you see that going forward in the next couple of years?
1: Okay, so um, we need to divide the Shiite into different groups. I think not all Shiite militia are bad people. Uh, we have bad people uh, in Kurdistan also. You know. People like Hadil Amri, we go back a long way during the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, we fought alongside each other, both KDP and PUK, uh, fighting against uh, Saddam's regime. So there's deep relationships with the groups like that. There are some groups within the Shiite militia that that, that we're concerned about, but we believe this is is an issue that uh, we can raise with the Iraqi government post ISIL uh, uh, Iraq, um, that the Iraqi government somehow integrates these Shiite militias into the local police force, whether it's the military or the federal police. This is a problem for the Iraqi government. We hope that we don't come across any kind of conflict with Uh, Shiite militias uh, on our borders. Uh, Again, this dialogue between us and Baghdad I think will help. We saw President Barzani for the first time uh, praise the role of the Shiite militias uh, and the lives that they they gave. Uh, This is a change. This is good for this kind of messaging, um, you know, to keep them friendly with us. But again, I think it's the job of the Iraqi government, um, post Daesh Iraq, uh, for these militias to be th- take take uh, this this uh, structure they're under right now. They need to be removed from the structure and integrated into into more structured, like police force, uh, military, uh, and other. Uh, official entities of the Iraqi government. Um, There is some concern at times, like I said, there are some groups uh, within those uh, Shiite militias uh, that get up to no good from time to time, but uh, like I said, it's an issue that we need to raise with the Iraqi government, and we need to solve this together uh, in the future.
0: Okay. Yes, you, sir, and then up there afterwards. uh, (coughs) Mike, down here. Hello.
1: Hi um, so my name is Chris I'm a uh, uh, third year international relations student at King's so right across the street uh
0: Congratulations. <laughs>
1: um, and I'm writing my dissertation on Kurdistan so thank you so much for your presentation and it's been very enlightening um, my question is regarding Independence. Uh, We know that Turkey has been very repressive of Kurdish rights. However, we know on the Iraqi side that Erbil is an example of a very established society. So my
6: question is whether uh, independence, whether it's a distant dream or not, will it happen as a whole across all four countries, or could it happen?
1: Could we see in Iraq, in Iraqi Kurdistan, come first before an entirety? Yes, good question. I, I think happening in one part uh, is difficult enough, and we talked about that earlier. Uh, can you imagine if you had the Iranian government and the Turkish government and the Syrian government also uh, getting involved in this? is going to be really difficult. I think it would be a dream for every Kurd that it happened all at once, but I, I think that's going to be very difficult. It needs to happen step by step. Um, Iraqi Kurdistan has a good opportunity, but this needs to happen uh, peacefully. Uh, in the future, with the approval of Baghdad, because we need to stay good neighbours with, with Iraq, if, if this was to happen, I believe.
0: Um. Well, sir, you've been very patient there. Thank you. Yes, <laughs>
6: Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Jean-Rush Kellas from Middlesex University. Uh, I- I'm sorry I was a bit late. Maybe you, you have talked about these issues in terms of the recent uh, tension between Iraqi government and Turkish government due to the uh, Turkish military bases in Kurdistan and also in Mosul. How for would you interpret this tension? Do you think this tension will uh, will cause further uh, conflict between
1: uh, Iraqi and Turkey? Turkish government yeah so uh, I think we talked about it in brief uh, it's very important the regional players stay out of this Mosul battle whether it's Turkey, whether it's Iran one thing that, I, that makes me happy on, on, on this uh, battle I think comparing it to uh, Rumadi and Fallujah you know there's more of a uh, dominant Iranian role. It, it, came, it, came, it came across that way. What we've seen for the Mosul uh, liberation, we've seen a very dominant uh, US led coalition uh, role. Uh, and this is reassuring for the people of Mosul also. Uh, um, and I, th- I think it needs to stay that way. And the Turkish troops, the, the Iranian troops, unless they are asked and given approval by the Iraqi government, they, sh- they, sh- they should stay out of this, uh, this battle. Uh, there are enough local forces available right now, whether it's Sunni, Shiite, Kurdish, Bechmerga, uh to be able to liberate Mosul. We don't need uh, forces from outside to come in to this. So it's the job of the coalition to make sure that uh, there's no regional uh, participation. And if they are going to participate, again, it needs to be a positive participation, whether it's advisory role, whether it's providing weapon and ammunition to the local forces on the ground. That's the, that's the how do you think that should be allowed? Uh.
0: Right. Yes, you, sir, and then you, and then you.
4: Thank you. Uh, Stephen, I'm a master's student in conflict studies here at the LSE. Um I've sort of a two-fold question related to the Peshmerga. You've made some some comments about how despite, you know, lack of payment and being poorly equipped, the Peshmerga are still, you know, valiantly fighting, which uh, I think we can all say that we're quite thankful for. But my question is related to loyalty and morale. Um, how has the Peshmerga um, remained loyal to the KRG despite sort of having these stresses against them? I was sort of wondering what factors are sort of forcing or sort of uh Where's the loyalty coming from? And then the second part of that is morale. How has morale been maintained within the Peshmerga in a way that was not really seen with the Iraqi military or Iraqi military earlier on in this conflict, despite being trained and equipped by the United States to such a degree?
0: Thanks. So why have you done it better than the Americans?
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so the loyalty
1: is there, the Peshmerga. You know, just the name is uh, has a meaning. Uh, They're willing to give their lives to protect their people, uh, whether KRG pays them or not. Uh, They're protecting their families. Uh, If they don't uh, stand against ISIL on those borders... There, ISIL, you know, could take over cities like Slemani and Erbil and their families uh, would be affected by that. So uh, I think they see this and they take pride in in protecting their country. Uh, But really, KRG should provide the basic needs for the Peshmerga. But whether they provide it or not, the Peshmerga, I think, you know, they they will be loyal uh, in protecting their land and protecting their people. Uh, the morale of the Peshmerga uh, was always high. Uh, I believe uh, at the beginning of the arrival of uh, ISIL into Mosul, we saw how brutally ISIL went through Syrian territory. We saw how uh, brutally came into Mosul uh, and other parts of Iraq. I think my unit, I should really praise my unit, there's a, uh, a military unit, uh, the counter-terrorism group, even though I'm not directly in charge, but it falls under my uh, command structure of my uh, intelligence organization, were the first people to take the fight back to ISIL and really showed the world and everybody else that ISIL could be really beaten. We beat them at the first battle. Uh, we really taught them a good lesson and I think that was the beginning of you know, a morale boost for the Peshmerga because at the beginning, even the Peshmerga uh... not having the right weapons not having the right ammunition you know can you imagine a mad max looking vehicle coming towards you fully armored uh... with suicide bomber driving towards you and you have nothing to destroy this weapon uh... your morale will be zero uh... even if you're the bravest person on this earth um, that happened with the Peshmerga because they didn't have the right weapons to destroy these suicide vehicles coming towards them but uh, we were better trained had better equipment uh... and at times, I had to send two vehicles to one location, another two vehicles, just for a morale booster. Uh, that way we, we, these guys, we could really beat them, and I think we, it was really effective. And We boosted up the morale of the Peshmerga, and then, thankfully, the, the help of the coalition arriving with the air support, with the ammunition and weapons supply, we, we're grateful. I think without the help of the coalition, you know, Sulaimani, Erbil, and other cities could be exactly like Mosul is right now. So. We're really thankful for, for uh, all the help we've, we've got from the coalition. Without them, you know, like I say, there will be a different story in our region as well. Uh, that's not to say that we don't need any more help. We need this help to continue. Um,
0: right, there was a question. Yes, you. Thanks. And then you. <laughs>
1: Thank you
6: so much, uh, Gabriel Garoum from uh, War Studies Department, PhD uh, at Kings. Uh, my question is: You talked about the necessary involvement of Sunni forces in the Mosul uh, campaign in order to reassure uh, local population. Uh, regarding Raqqa and how I know the SDF is a very multi-ethnic and multi-language uh, as well and multi-identity uh, force, but how a heavily Kurdish intervention in Raqqa will reassure uh, an, an Arab uh, Sunni city of yes, Raqqa and especially after two, two years and a half of heavy socialization of the Islamic State
1: uh, so I think, for, like I said, Mosul is more complex than Raqqa is. Uh, we talked about the different ethnic groups, different religious groups living inside Mosul. It makes it really complex. Uh, but it's a majority Sunni uh, province, and um, the nationalist, uh, uh, Arab nationalist, uh, a lot of these Sunnis, um, they needed reassurance. Um, uh, from the Iraqi government, from the coalition, and I think participation of these local tribesmen is uh, some kind of reassurance that you know uh, no force is going to come and commit crimes uh, against the Sunni community. But with Raqqa, it's a different story. I believe you know uh, Raqqa, uh, all Sunnis, um, Kurdish participation would be through uh, the. Uh, Democratic Syrian Democratic Forces, you know, the Syrian Democratic Forces is a combination of Kurds, even though a lot of people are saying that majority Kurds because the YPG, it was YPG's idea at the first time to start including Arabs and Turkmen's and the Christian community in Syria. Uh, so they are a majority Kurds. But I think if the focus is on Raqqa, uh, we could really increase the numbers of Sunni, Arabs, and Christians and Turkmen's within the ranks of SDF. Um, um, if people see that Raqqa is going to be the next battle, I, I, I believe through talking to YPG commanders they're reassuring me that they're in touch with some uh, local tribes people inside Raqqa and they've shown uh, uh, willingness to to participate in retaking Raqqa so i think the, the the numbers of the arabs and the christians and the Turkmen could easily go up uh, as it picks up momentum towards uh, towards liberation uh, so it's not going to be a purely kurdish uh, force that's going to take Raqqa. This is not what YPG wants. I've been involved in some talks between the coalition and, and uh, the YPG. Actually, the YPG is quite hesitant to participate in Raqqa uh, unless they can recruit more Arabs. Uh, and It should be an SDF-led uh, um, force going into Raqqa. Yes, sir. Um, Adrian, uh, student at LSE, uh, political economy. Um, I wanted to ask you about Syria. So following the Turkish intervention in order to prevent uh, the YPG to achieve uh, territorial continuity, uh, we have seen the U.S. uh, withdrawing progressively their support to the YPG under the conditionality, at least Joe Biden said in August, that uh, the Kurdish forces should actually handle uh, handle back uh, Manbij. Um, Do you think that it could be that the Kurdish forces could uh, go on the Russian side and what would be the implication for that? So I don't know where you've seen withdrawal from the U.S. side. Uh, the support to the Kurds, the uh, withdrawal of their support. No, they haven't done. I think when Jarabulus when happened and uh, Turkish-backed forces came into Jarabulus, uh, even though there was a message from Mr. Joe Biden, uh, but immediately the White House came out and said, we're con- going to continue the support uh, for the Kurdish forces and the SDF in Syria uh, to recover on that one. I think that was... Uh, Uh, That wasn't very accurate. And then I met with military commanders in Iraq that went into Syria and reassured the YPG forces that they're not going to turn their back on on, uh, the YPG. Uh, Even if this is not out in the media, I am telling you this is is the case. Um, I believe the YPG has been reassured by by the coalition that they will not allow any of these forces to come any further south towards the uh, areas under the control of YPG. Um, So I don't think there will be any need for YPG to be looking into building a relationship with Russia. Uh, Building a relationship with Russia in Syria for YPG is a big mistake. I think Russians are uh, tactical. They are not very strategic uh, in in Syria. I believe they need to stick with the coalition current current relationship and develop this current relationship and reassure the Turkish government also that they will not pose a threat in the future. Uh, They need to continuously give this kind of reassurance For the Turkish government uh, and for the coalition. And I I believe they would be in good hands if they do this.
5: Uh, Ian Black from the uh, the Middle East Centre talked recently from the the Guardian. Um, I wonder. I was listening to you talk about the coalition and your relationship with them, and you're very positive about them. I just wonder, standing back, looking at the the larger regional picture on Syria in particular, which is, I mean, your focus is naturally on on KRG and Daesh and so on. But in the big picture, standing back, do you think that the coalition has done as well in Syria as you appear to think it's doing in Iraq. Had there been moments in the last few years, for example, August 2013, where you think that the coalition could have done more to contain the Syrian crisis. Whatever progress is made with Mosul and Daesh, the Syrian crisis is not only nowhere near resolution, but seems to be getting worse. I just wonder how, how that would look to you from your perspective. So we're talking about all of Syria, not only the Kurdish northern part of Syria.
1: I think coalition made big mistakes in, in the beginning. Uh, as I mentioned uh, in the past, they trusted uh, this so-called moderate forces uh, in Syria, poured billions of dollars of money into into uh, these joint projects they had with Turkey and the Gulf states, um, a lot of these guys ended up joining either Jabhat al-Nusra or Daesh, to be honest with you, taking their weapons and money that was provided by the coalition partners, unfortunately, and, 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 and uh, they helped in creating this monster called Daesh. I think they made a lot of mistakes in the past, but I I want to talk about the past year and a half, two years, where... We've we've got the coalition to focus on building a relationship with YPG and how much they've achieved uh, through the little help that they give to YPG. Uh, We we praise the role of coalition uh, that that they have with YPG and they've achieved so much. uh, They've taken so much territory. Uh, back from ISIL uh, through the help they, they're given to YPG, but uh, I totally agree with you uh, their role in the past wasn't a good one they were misguided and misled I believe the coalition uh, by regional countries uh, And we have this mess that we have in Syria which is uh, really unfortunate for Syrian people we saw the recent events in, in Aleppo it's really, really distraughting and, and, and I really don't know what to say about that but it's so complicated now in Syria with With the Russian factor, with the Iranians, with the Turks, with the Gulf Um, states—if anybody really could figure out this puzzle of how to solve Syria, you know, uh, it would be a great thing. But it's really complicated, so that's why we try and concentrate on, you know. (laughs) Uh, the YPG, because they've been a, a good, uh, encouraging, uh, positive uh, force in Syria uh, in the last five years, I think what YPG has achieved has been the only positive thing in the war against uh, the terrorist groups in Syria that's come out. Um, therefore, they should be given more recognition for that. And we should praise the coalition for building this relationship with YPG and encourage them, not discourage them, even though they messed up in the past. Uh, they made a lot of mistakes.
0: Right, let's take a final word. Our speakers' uh, energy is flagging. I can take we take a yeah. final round of questions. There, uh, you first, sir. Uh, you and you, the last three. Sorry.
4: I'm Aldo Carone, PhD in IR here at the uh, My thesis focus, uh, on, uh, uh, focuses on the role of uh, intelligence operation on military victory and defeat. So I'm here just because I want to know something I should take it. you to Mosul
1: and get the real
4: experience. Uh, actually, I want to talk to you one minute at the end, if it's <laughs> possible. My question is this. You said two d- different things today. The first was a secret, the fact that the intelligence matters in uh, military uh, to achieve military successes. And then you talk about the material support you received from the, co- the coalition. So my question is uh, what do you think uh, impacted the most on the successes you achieved? The, 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 the material support or the information you gather in the field?
0: Hold that and we'll take two more. Got okay, okay sorry, so I should have that down. Okay. So it's what success, uh, material support, or intelligence?
4: Hi, my name is Rohan, I'm at King's College London, and I was actually at Singapore's Middle East Institute right before Professor Dodge was there. Um, My question is regarding the the leadership of ISIL, specifically kind of more the Ba'athists. What do you anticipate happening after Mosul falls, after Raqqa is retaken, and what do you specifically see happening to the former Ba'athists?
0: Okay, and the final question of the evening. Yes, you,
6: sir. Thank you. I'm uh, Heide Rieder from uh, Bain & Company. Um, The Kurds have been on the front lines for many generations now, but I believe this time is different because the front line is against an enemy not only of the Kurds, but of the whole of humanity that is killing, enslaving, raping at a scale that wasn't seen for, for many hundreds of years. So my question is how can the Kurds get more stakeholders to join them on that front line so that they don't have to fight that fight so alone, specifically given that we're in London on the one hand, how could you get more support from corporates like Google, Twitter, uh, marketing agencies, etc., to help you stop the flow of fighters that goes to join ISIS? And secondly, how could you get more support from academic institutions like the LSE or Kings or whoever <laughs> was here? But what can they do to bring facts to the table that are now missing as about the crimes of ISIS, where they get their money from, where they get their political support from, etc.? So basically, how do you bring in corporates? and academic help in that fight which is so important, which you're fighting. Thank you. Right, the, the, first, question. the first <laughs> question was quite straightforward, I think. It was an either-or. Which, which
0: of, of the coalition yeah. support, the material support, or the intelligence... Has I think through the experience
1: done. we picked up in the past two years, having small units, trained, well-equipped smaller units, would work much better against uh, ISIL. Um, talking from experience from my unit, uh, we're a very small unit, but we were better trained uh, we have better equipment uh some bigger armies uh they 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 take a lot of casualties because they set up these IEDs and bombs and that could be really demoralizing for, 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 for bigger armies so uh, good intelligence is a key factor you know, my, my unit has a big organization intelligence organization behind it so we provide the good intelligence to the small unit well equipped well trained and we can really take the fight to Iceland we've had a lot of success uh, with them so it's good intelligence uh, well trained forces um, smaller units uh, that are much more effective uh, against uh, ISIL. Uh, If that may have answered your question. Now, now the question up
0: there is quite an intriguing one, uh, and I'll rephrase it to, to ask two out of the one. The first is how important do you think former Barthes are in Mosul and in the alleged coalition with Daesh, and then the second one, which was our friend's question, was what, what happens to them after the liberation?
1: Yeah, so I think at the beginning of uh, arrival of ISIL, uh, Uh, Most of the commanders were former Ba'athists, but uh, it became very clear after a while, after some beheadings of some of these commanders by ISIL, you either gave allegiance to ISIL or you were beheaded. You no longer could be uh, using the Ba'athist name, Uh, you were ISIL. Uh, A large number of these guys are former Ba'athists, but they now have given allegiance to to ISIL. what role they would play or what, what would happen to them, that would be up to the Iraqi government, whether uh, they would be given a second chance to to get back into iraqi territory uh, i think that would be uh, up to the iraqi government but um, a lot of these guys could be uh, the guys in, uh, in in creating the next terrorist organization as well if they're sidelined and they're completely rejected by the iraqi government uh... like i said the breeding ground will be there and these guys will take advantage of it and they will create another group under a different name, uh, I believe. And the second
0: question was, sorry. I'm no, the, the, the final question is, is how can you
1: no, get there, more. There was another question to him, I think. I don't want. No? to or, or, What was there?
0: What, was what happens to them? What
1: happens to them? Uh, like I said, if the Iraqi government completely re- rejects these people, uh, I believe they will be involved in more terrorist uh, activity. Uh, so you really have to find a balance there.
0: It's the stakeholders, the corporate stakeholders. How, how, how can they be brought in to support? Can you us give us running? money?
1: <laughs> yeah, on technical side.
6: Yeah, I, I don't want to say how much I have in my pocket, but so we can talk about it.
1: To be honest with you, I don't know how they could help. Uh, I know in the past they are um, cooperating with other intelligence organizations, uh, with international players, uh, to shut down Twitter accounts, to shut down Google account that helped uh, ISIL recruit uh, in social media. I know there was a program with both Google and... and other social media groups uh, this kind of cooperation is the best way uh, to slow down the process of recruitment by Iceland. I think that, uh, that's the way and if they can, if they have a lot of money I know they have a lot of money they can give us some money uh, because we're, we're, we're short of money at the moment that would yeah. really help <laughs>
0: Okay, on, on that note uh, well, that very practical note uh, and, and request it, it leaves me the, the very happy task of thanking Lahore Talibana although he's got a cold I think we've all got colds cold at the moment it's that time of year he's given us uh, Uh, A very detailed, very (laughs) crank, I think, very interesting both talk and answer to our questions. So thank you very much.